Welcome to Let's Explore This, your Tri Sigma podcast. We're here today with the full crew. Uh, I got my co-host, Sam. I wanted to do the intro. <laughs> and Adam? I did not. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, my name is Kevin. Um, I did tell Sam that he could not do the intro. I said he didn't look himbo enough today. Yeah, I'm kind of upset about that. <laughs> so what's going on, guys? Uh, not a lot. Just kind of recouping here this uh, this weekend. And uh, last week, uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted to bring this up last podcast or last episode, but I didn't get a chance to. But, you know, the Black Album's 30th anniversary release. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they had like a mandatory Metallica on a mandatory Metallica channel on Sirius XM. And I've been uh, dogging the Black Album a lot lately, lately. And I forgot how much I love the song of Wolf and Man. That is a good song. It's fucking sweet. Yeah, yeah. I so I listened to the Miley Cyrus and Elton John Nothing Else Matters. I didn't think it was that bad, but I listened to the Ghost Enter Sandman cover and I I didn't like it. I didn't like it either. And I'm a Ghost I'm like, fan. I know, I know. It's like this song is just for like the norms. Yeah, weebs for Ghost. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I think it did ghost a, a disservice, to be honest. Yeah, I, I did too. And I think they only picked him because he did that cover at the Swedish Awards or something like that. And people were like, oh, dude, you should do like an actual cover, like metal covers. And then he did. And then it just missed the mark. Hardcore. There's a lot of good covers, though, on that Blacklist album. I listened to a few of them. And, okay. Because uh, I, I like Phoebe Bridgers that... Uh, she's an indie artist, and she did Nothing Else Matters, and that was pretty good. Okay, so they have multiple yeah, covers. Yeah, there's, there's multiple artists and, like, tons of covers. Okay. And only one of a wolf and man in that one, I didn't I didn't like that one. I didn't think it was very good. Who did it? Goodbye, Texas, or something like that. Never heard I of it. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Well, speaking of Texas, yeah, I just got back from Texas. How oh, nice. It? Yeah. We need to report in. It was, it was a real fine, hot, hot, nice weather. Um, what were we there for? I was there for my my future brother-in-law's uh, bachelor party. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I survived that. He barely did. Did, did you guys go to like <laughs> one of those ice boxes or whatever they call them? No. Uh we were at Little Woodrow's for one day and they had some barbecue. Uh yeah, they they had a bunch of barbecue cooking across the street. Unfortunately, it wasn't ready. I guess it takes like 20 hours to make. Oh, sure. Only if you do it right. Yeah. But they had uh their their outdoor setup had some water getting spritzed on you that was going on while everybody was playing cornhole and listening to country music <laughs> hooting and hollering a good time yeah that sounds like fun it was i got a little throat thing from there i think i think I'll there's survive. bugs going around that are on that are that are not covid yeah it's just a good fun time bug all the sickness is going <laughs> around right now all of it yeah it definitely infected me with a love for country music <laughs> <laughs> all right you can go ahead and leave for the rest of the day adam yeah, we don't support country music <laughs> on this podcast. All right, I'll, I'll go drink a beer with Jesus. <laughs> Dude, did you see the Kelsey Grammer Jesus beer? Kelsey Grammer's coming out with a Christian beer. Really? What? Or he already did. Yeah. He's, and you're talking about Fraser here, right? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's called uh, Faith. I'm pretty sure Faith American Brewing Company is founded in 2015 by Kelsey Grammer. Dude, it's so dumb. You got to be 21 to enter a fucking alcohol website. <laughs> Dude, this is kind of disappointing. I love Frasier, and but Kelsey Grammer is just kind of a knothead with his politics. I guess politics doesn't even matter. Only, only the, only the actor. 
only the acting yeah okay so this is so what i saw i saw on um on on twitter i saw a, a screenshot of a tops groceries like social media page advertising for a kelsey grammar meet and greet and, and so in buffalo uh on i believe it was on thursday for like an hour and a half you could go to this grocery store and buy a, a like a four pack of beer and kelsey grammar would like sign it for you and stuff dude so was... did you <laughs> i where know did you go or oh you don't live well, over there anymore. <laughs> well yeah and i saw it like literally i saw the post like an hour after it wrapped up and i'm like i really wish i would have known about this because i probably could have gotten someone to go for me <laughs> oh um, that's awesome but yeah so it looks like kelsey Grammer's doing this to bring in some economic some money into the catskills region of new york which the catskills are actually very beautiful like that's a lot of people don't think about new york as like a like a beautiful state but like upstate new york is actually really beautiful you know they have the like catskills and it's part of the appalachian mountain range and stuff that's where they kept all the Jewish comedians. <laughs> and then they have like a lot of uh, lakes and stuff too, like the Finger Lakes. Oh, yeah. Um, and like wine country and stuff. Wow. But yeah, so Kelsey Grammer has beer now. <laughs> nice, dude. I can dig it. Do, do you sell it at the liquor store, Adam? No, unfortunately not. Probably should though. Mm-hmm. We got to support. Our, we got to support our TV. Uh, it looks <laughs> yeah. like it right now. It's only in uh, parts of New York and New Jersey. Okay, yeah, it probably is not going to really get that far. I still kind of get a can. I do too. Might be worth a trip to New York. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Syracuse. Syracuse is actually kind of decent. I, I just wanted to quickly go back to Metallica for a second. Okay. I think Ghost should have covered through the Never. Yes. I think they could have done that a lot better. Or something. I, I don't know. I don't like... Or My Friend of Misery. I think they could have done a really good job with My Friend of Misery. I thought parts of Ghost's last album, Prequel was good but like i feel like their cover of enter sandman was too much like that and there was more of that album i didn't like than did all right yeah whatever what have you been up to kevin anything <laughs> um uh, dude i no not really don't care <laughs> i've just been <laughs> um some things might be changing for me professionally which i'm excited about um Ooh. but you know i don't want to spill the beans on that until it's it's all uh said and done spill um <laughs> um otherwise yeah i've just been playing valorant that's an okay life <laughs> i did want to i did just watch the uh the cowboy bebop intro for the live action cowboy bebop show i saw you live react <laughs> yeah i made sam watch my live react minutes before we started recording <laughs> he's adam, got the, did you watch it he's got the same no, dumb look on his face yet. too adam watch it it's in the chat yeah we'll watch you live react and see what you have to say <laughs> about it but i mean i i didn't think it was bad I think it looks entertaining. Yeah, it, it, I, I was really expecting like a lot worse, I guess. I have a feeling it's going to, I don't know a good comparison to what I think it's going to be like off to my top of the head. It's like, I think it's going to be kind of goofy, if that makes any sense. Um, Probably. Yeah, not necessarily in a bad way, but I mean, it's just going to be kind of goofy. Adam, did you start a cult when you were down in Texas? No, I, I seem to have missed that. Oh, Maybe I joined one. Maybe I became a young Southern gentleman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I know we were talking. It seems to be lacking some iron, uh, or not iron, uh, Ed. Ed. But and I don't know. I I don't like how Faye has knives. That's just. It's like why are they adding? That show's so the show's so perfect. Like I know if you're if you're talking to real weebs, they're gonna be like, I bet you like Cowboy Bebop, don't you? But it's like Cowboy Bebop's the most perfect anime ever made. <laughs> like I've been around the anime block now, and like I can tell by your. 
Or your choice of posters. <laughs> I do not have anime posters. <laughs> That's a lie. God, wall is bare. <laughs> yeah, um, it's gray and ugly. <laughs> um, but uh, so like now that I've watched like a lot of anime, um, I can see why the weebs would say that because the weebs are into all the weird shit that happens in anime, like all this the kawaii stuff or whatever. You know what I mean? Not a clue. I'm not that big in anime. You know when like you know when like they do like a jab at somebody in an anime and they'll have like that little like puff of air go above their head or like their face will turn all weird. Oh yeah. You know that kind of shit. Yeah. That's what they like because they think oh. it's funny. Where when I watch that stuff, I think it's kind of dumb and cringe. And I think most 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 American audiences would probably think it's cringe. You know what I mean? I I get what you mean. Yeah. So what do you think, Adam? It was worse than cringe. It was a crime. <laughs> so yeah. So like. Cowboy Bebop doesn't have all that kawaii stuff in it, so it's more palatable, so, like Western media watchers. Okay, you know, yeah, that's why I. I mean, I just think that's why I think it's better all around. I mean, I think I just like it better because it's like I prefer that type of anime. I'll watch the other type, but if it gets too bad, I'm just like I'm done with it. Like I actually started watching it. There's this new anime called Demon Slayer. It's on Netflix. Yeah, very good show. It is a very good show, but near the end of the series and it's it's an ongoing like they're still making new episodes and stuff i think you can like read all the manga or whatever but it's still ongoing um they introduce a character that looks so anime like the green hair and stuff like just so anime i almost turned it off (laughs) this is so stupid like it ruins it for me i don't know because and and that's so like the tone and uh, you know everything about Cowboy Bebop is much different, I believe, because they don't have all that crap in it. So you can take it seriously. Like it's not just a, it's like a an adult cartoon. You know, it, it's actually like a drama. You know, yeah, like an animated yeah. drama. I get what you're and, saying. And you know, I don't know. It's just, I, it's I just, think it, I think it's more palatable. I think everybody. it would do really well in the United States because it it has a lot of uh, like neo western themes and. Americans yeah. love love westerns. True, true, true. Dude, they should make a anime version of Longmire. That'd be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, dude, White or Walt and uh, Spike could do a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> it, it had to be something more like because unless they just like redid Longmire when it took place or something where like Walt accidentally gets like frozen for like 80 years or something and then he like thaws out in the future and then he's got to like solve crimes in like um neo uh wyoming or something dude we could do a demolition man longmire cowboy bebop animated crossover it would be better than the mcu <laughs> like here's here's what happens walt and sylvester stallone wake up at the same time out of their ice chambers wherever the hell that was do you remember what they're called in Rep- uh, Demolition Man? In the ice cube things? It's like no. a cryogenic chamber. Yeah. And someone has been pushing. You know, you remember that red stuff that they sprayed in the eyes? and Red eye. Red eye. Someone's been pushing red eye on the res. Walt and Sel- Sylvester Stallone go to check it out. And then they find that, uh, that Native American guy who would fix up Spike every now and then. Oh, yeah. And that's how they run into Spike. And then Spike's like, these guys pulled it over on me. And so, like, Spike teams up with Walt and Sylvester Stallone, and then they just, like, get rid of the red eye on the res. This could be, like, a prequel to the whole series, because that first, I think it's the first, Asteroid Blues is, like, the first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That'd be sweet. That's a, <laughs> a good idea. Oh man, dude, we should start. Should we start being freaks who write fanfic and have like forums for this shit? <laughs> yes, I think it's a good idea. Dude, one time I, I was like looking up fan fiction just just to be goofy, you know, and I found like a Diddy Kong Racing fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> like, who? <laughs> Like, that game is, like, I guess it's not pre-internet, but it's, like, you know, it came out, like, right around the same time as the internet, like, got into people's homes, you know? It's, like, who's sitting here 20 years later writing a fan fiction about Pig and Diddy Kong? <laughs> you know, my uh, conspiratorial mind is going to say you, <laughs> because you said, oh, I was looking at fan fiction to be goofy, but I really <laughs> <laughs> what to promote my Diddy Kong racing? <laughs> oh my god! I just I'm adding a lot of depth to the characters that the game didn't. <laughs> All of those players have unique backstory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, weird stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do you guys want to get into it? I think so. All right. So before uh, the big topic, I did kind of want to touch on the Taliban a little bit and how they're trying to get into the UN right now. Okay. So basically, the Af- Afghanistan's been in the UN uh, under the old government. Uh, I don't know how long they've been in there, um, but they're in there. And so right now, the UN's meeting for their like, general assembly or whatever until i believe monday and uh the taliban was like or the guy who represented afghanistan previously the old government is still there and he's scheduled to speak i believe he's actually like the last speaker um and so they want to uh basically the taliban reached out to the general um the head of the, the secretary general of the un and uh we're like hey the mission yeah his mission's over like we don't he's not representative of our government like bring him back where we're gonna send our own and so basically i mean they're at least taking it seriously you know they're gonna talk about it the taliban's not gonna speak or the taliban's government's uh mouthpiece or whatever isn't gonna representative isn't gonna be there because i I don't know it's not just like a okay we'll get rid of this guy and put this guy in type of thing you know it's basically like uh, i think the the security council with like all the permanent members of the security council have to like agree to let the taliban in um and i think that's going to be kind of the like one more step into legitimizing the taliban government two countries in that uh decision are russia and china who you know are continuing to have ties and I don't believe either China or Russia pulled out their embassies or anything. So they have diplomatic ties. And so it's within it's in their interests to allow it. So, yeah, it's a nine member credentials committee whose members include the United States, China and Russia. So I don't know who the other six are. But um, basically, in my opinion, I think they should let them in. Um, I kind of read this interview or I read this interview. The New York Times did with uh, the envoy from Pakistan and he was saying, like, basically, like, we should let them in because it would open up the doors for a lot of international aid. And then the refugee, the amount of refugees that Pakistan has taken in from Af- Afghanistan could end up going back once, like, you know, they fix some stuff. 
make it you know livable and so he supports it and and the guy from pakistan also mentioned it's like it's not like afghanistan just like has tumbled into civil war or whatever like i think they have a lot of isis and taliban fighting still going on right now but i don't think uh like basically it didn't just topple like people thought it would and i know a lot of countries have been giving international aid i think i believe china russia and the united states have actually given uh the taliban a bunch of money so they could do like reconstruction stuff yeah i think the only fighting is between isis k and and the taliban itself because the panchia resistance folded three weeks to a month ago already so there's no active resistance other than the islamic state so i mean Mm -hmm. to pick the fight between the two i guess they would rather work with the taliban than you know the islamic state yeah yeah for sure um i mean again i i know we kind of touched on it in a few previous episodes but i i think they're going to run a rational government or you know a legitimate i i think they're the legitimate governing body in afghanistan right now and if we it's kind of like a double-edged sword because obviously they're not the greatest government in the world i mean just this week they're hanging dead bodies of isis members in public uh they they hung like four I think they killed them and hung their dead bodies. It's not like they did public hangings, but regardless, like basically the police just came in, executed these four dudes, and then they hung their bodies from cranes all around the city. So, you know, they're doing barbaric, you know, gross stuff like that. It's, I mean, it's hard to say this, but like what would happen if they weren't there? Like, would it be worse, you know, just this yeah. lawless society where like a ton of warlords and, and, and terrorist group like multiple factions of different terrorist groups are saying they're shooting at each other and you know making cities unlivable i think i I think a thing to remember is a lot of the taliban fighters like the younger ones aren't necessarily radicalized in the same way that you know the the leaders are because they were radicalized in like religious schools in pakistan during the afghan soviet war Okay, And then they came back and, you know, had this interpretation. But a lot of younger Taliban fighters are radicalized because we dropped bombs on their their livelihoods Mm -hmm. and they're just mad about that. And they and so they they clung to the ideology an extreme ideology that was there for them to cling on because the, the Afghan government, the one that we propped up, wasn't doing anything for them. And the, ta- and the Taliban would come by and be like, hey, we'll give you 500 bucks to like shoot at this American convoy. And these poor farmers didn't have any other choice. So they shot at like, they're like, okay, yeah, that's 500 bucks. That's like a lot of money. So they would shoot at an American convoy and we'd fucking airstrike that fucking complex or whatever. And then whoever survived out of that would just be radicalized and then, then just go and join the Taliban. You know, it was this perpetual war that basically got the Taliban to the strength that it is now. And that's why they are. So what I'm trying to say is a diplomatic mission, it'd probably be better than what we were doing the past 20 years. I don't fault anybody who is in a war zone for doing what they had to do to get home and be alive. But I'm saying that it's the ending result was a stronger Taliban that took over the government very quickly and swiftly. The same word, I'm just saying. So a better approach this time around would be allowing them to have, you know, speak at the UN, having diplomatic missions, you know, providing economic aid. And then once you have those set up, then you can provide those economic pressures on the country to try and make them more progressive. Because as even Joe Biden has said, the war on terror has metastasized <laughs> across the globe. 
so that just kind of just proves the fact that this tw- these twenty year this twenty year experiment with war just didn't work. In fact, it made mm-hmm. it harder and radicalized more people. So I, I think a better way forward was to allow you know more more dialogue um, between nations and use economics instead of just bombs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I completely agree. I think that's the point we've, we've been trying to get across, you know, throughout all our episodes is like, they're here, better to work with them than against them at this point, uh, to try to make things better for the people of Afghanistan. Yes. And I think I honestly think they that Russian or Chinese investment will make things better for the people of Afghanistan. Yeah. And the I mean, the Taliban has already come out and said that basically that they're looking to China to like help modernize their minds and build some infrastructure. Mm-hmm. That's what the spokesman of the Taliban has said, is basically said that our main investor is going to be China. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's already set in stone. I think thing people got to remember is that both Russia and China are making moves in the anticipation of a post-America, post-America world. Like that Megadeth song. But like, uh, you know... A world where the U.S. influence isn't as great as it is now. They're making moves to set up for like basically a post-America world. Yeah, I got. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of said it. Uh, international relations theory. There's something called a rentier state. The textbook definition definition is a state which derives all or a substantial portion of its national revenues from the rent paid by foreign individuals, concerns, or governments. So basically, like propped up governments, and so. These governments are propped up. Basically, I kind of think that Afghanistan is going to become a rentier state of China or a vassal state, if you will. I don't know. Because China is basically going to be dependent on Chinese investment. And that's what China is trying to do with their Belt and Road Initiative is make everybody a rentier state that they give loans to. And that is what the Western world does with the IMF is they want to make everybody a rentier state. That's what Germany did to Greece. They made them a rentier state so that they can have control of their politics and and their government or whatever. But the one yeah. Germany took over Europe this time without going to war. Yeah, exactly. But the one thing about a rentier state is that even though the governments may be unpopular, the governments still have to do something for the people to so that they can stay in power. You know, whether it's just because they don't want, because they're fragile, you know, and they don't want to be overthrown. China's going to invest in Afghanistan either directly or indirectly because China has a good relationship with Pakistan. And Pakistan's been, you know, sticking their finger in Afghanistan forever. Yeah. So they'll either use, they'll they'll invest in the country either directly or through Pakistan. One of the two. Yeah. So like here, like examples of rentier states include oil producing countries, uh, including Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Iraq, Iran, Kuwait, Qatar, Libya, and Algeria, as well as a few states in Latin America, all of whom are members of OPEC. So basically, like we all know, like an example for Saudi Arabia, they have like a royal family or whatever that runs the show. And Bree Zakaria has posited that such states fail to develop politically because in the absence of taxes, citizens have less incentive to place pressure on the government to become responsive to their needs. Instead, the government essentially bribes the citizenry with extensive social welfare programs, becoming an allocation or a distributive state. The budget, in effect, is little more than an expenditure program. So, you know, I, you know, take take that for what you will. But in my mind, it's obviously terrible that, you know, the people of Afghanistan really don't have much of a say 
and who rules their country. But what I'm hoping happens is that the Taliban at least works to modernize the country and, and give people access to utilities, food, security, and housing, which I know the United States did and to some effect do that. Um, I know like, you know, like we weren't there just blowing shit up. We did have like programs from like the USDA and stuff that went in and, and tried to develop more, uh, of their like agriculture base and things like that. Like I read some story about this region of Afghanistan that like grew a shit ton of potatoes and the United States went in there and, you know, helped them with irrigation and such so that their potato crop was like much better and they're able to feed themselves and whatever, you know? So I, I think, uh, I don't know. I think the Taliban has to do that in order for them to stay in power. You know, I don't think they can just, and I, and I think any government has to do that barring like North Korea, I guess. But anyway, so <laughs> basically long story short, let them in, let them talk, um, work with them because I don't think as much as I, I, I don't think anybody gains if we are exclusionary and isolationist. Um, I think China will just become more powerful. Um, and when we, when we're about to enter a world with multiple superpowers again, I, I think it's, it'd be beneficial for us to have some sway or have a foot in the door in countries where the other superpower is heavily invested. I guess the only thing to stop all this would be a global economic crash like we've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, which leads us to our next big topic. You want to take it away, Sam? I'd rather die. <laughs> so I went down the rabbit hole, and I'm going to try and explain this better than I did things last <laughs> episode since I explained everything like dog shit last episode. But here we go. So we're going to talk about the Evergrande situation, which Evergrande is like this ginormous, uh, it's like a real estate company, basically, that's in the brink of collapse in China. So, and I'm reading CNBC right now. So I think the thing to remember, first of all, is that real estate in China is between like, I think it's like 20, 25% of their total GDP. And so like, because all these people have been in China have been brought out of poverty and are having access basically something similar to like the America dream. They just have like as like a house is like a vehicle for investment, basically. So what Evergrande has been doing is one of the companies in China that has been just been building a shit ton of housing throughout all of China. And they what they've been doing is borrowing, build it all. And they have uh, racked up around $300 billion worth of debt. And they've been doing more than just uh, real estate. They've been doing a lot of different, like they've got, like they bought some soccer teams, you know, they just been, you know, dicking around and just accumulating all this debt, just like, you know, buying a bunch of shit. Another thing that they did, which I think is scary is because we do it in the United States as well, is they've been taking deposits for all these homes for uh, people that, for real estate projects that they've been building. Well, now they're at the the point where like they can't like they might not even be able to finish these projects. And what they they did was instead of doing like cash payments to like people who put down deposits, they like gave them gave them like parking spots as like reimbursement. Like, <laughs> like oops, we can't. Um, I mean, this was just like one of the examples. Like, it's like oops, we can't give you cash right now, and we and we don't have the home built for you yet. So here's a parking spot. 
it, it's it's not a good situation right now. So what they're afraid of is one, if Evergrande collapses, basically it's going to flood the market with unfinished properties and basically they're going to have to sell them. And when that's 20, 25% of your GDP of all real estate, that's going to cause a major hit, like epic proportions in like the economy will just get hit. It'll flood the market. And what China has been trying to do, well, what they have been doing is rate, like basically they're, they're in a housing boom, just like we are. Mm-hmm. And about a year ago, I think it was about a year ago, they started to put cold water on the hot market, trying to slow down like, you know, the price, like how much the prices have been hiking and everything like that. Basically, what they're afraid of is, you know, flooding the market with all this excess property, which will cause property values to like plummet, basically, which is what they don't want to happen. But two, if they default on their debt, it's going to cause what the, in, uh, you know, economic terms is like contagion, which is all the lenders will get stiffed. And it'll cause a chain reaction. That's what happened in 2008 here in the United States with like Lehman Brothers when it went under. It just spread throughout the entire economy because everybody owes everybody something. So now you have both lenders that have the possibility to get stiffed, which if those lenders end up going under, you know, whatever else they have their fingers in will be affected. And then you have all these um, stakeholders, both uh domestic in China and then foreign holders like uh, investors in the United States will get basically stiffed and that'll just cause like a major, you know, backlash here in the United States. So what they're afraid mm-hmm. of basically is 2007, 2008 happening all over again. Yeah. And this time it'll start in China. But then I went down another like I, the <laughs> whole rabbit hole from from this this shit it makes it seem like everything is just on the brink of absolute disaster right now. I was going to ask, is that a situation where they might be forced to call in their debts that they have abroad, like these Chinese investors? I, I think the Chinese government will bail out the investors. I don't think they'll necessarily, because I, what I, what I heard on like the D like the DW, um, which is like that German public broadcasting or whatever. I don't I I don't know if they're reliable or not, but the guy on there was saying that uh he thinks that China won't necessarily bail out Evergrande himself because they don't want to excuse bad behavior, but what I think they said they might do is just bail out the invest like non-Evergrande investors in there, like the financial institutions and um you know everyone else around that. But the thing with that is they also add is that they'll take care of like um, net, like Chinese investors before they do foreign investors, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there, there's a chance that you know foreign investors will just get you know um, shafted by this. I, okay, I, I, I think this whole problem originates at the Federal Reserve and banking because I think our banking practices have been dog shit since 2008. I think what we should have done was nationalize the banks, put all those people in jail, and um, you know get things back on track instead of bailing them out and allowing them to all have either a golden parachute or continue to have humongous bonuses. Um, Because, you know, obviously me being the China boo, (laughs) um, I I honestly thought like the Evergrande story was basically the West trying to pin the impending economic collapse on China. And what I, when I, you know, researched more, I would say it's basically shared blame um, because we're all part of the same global economy and who's number one, you know, what's, what, what are most like, like the dollar is a reserve currency for the world energy, like oil is traded in USD 
like the world relies on USD basically. So that means everything, a lot of these problems start with the Federal Reserve. And basically after 2008, they allowed banks to borrow money for almost for free, which then allowed banks to give us low interest rates and take on a higher risk. So banks were able to just start handing out loans left and right. And now we've created zombie firms, which I thought this was pretty bad. So companies that do not make enough profit to pay off their debts and are only able to survive by repeatedly refinancing their loans, known as zombie firms, have been able to turn over their debt because low interest rates increase the willingness of lenders to buy higher yield corporate debt. So basically what's going on is corporate debt being over leveraged, corporations being over leveraged. And so it's not necessarily like, oh, the government of China is fucking up and the Chinese economic system isn't working. It's this endless pool of debt that corporations have the ability to pull from, which is the problem. And that started with the Fed. So in 2018, study a study of 14 rich countries, the Bank of International Settlements stated that zombie firms increased from 2% of all firms in the 1980s to 12% in 2016, by March 2020, one-sixth of all publicly traded companies in the United States did not make enough profit to cover the interest on their issued debt. And I guess to kind of put that in like, I guess, more popular terms that I think are more talked about is the debt ceiling in the United States. Because that was another thing. Like we were going to run out of money again in like November, I think, next month or two months. Yeah. Um, but you know, the House or Congress pushed through a deal to raise the debt ceiling until December. So now December is the deadline, and the Republicans have kind of drawn a line in the sand about it. I think they're gonna try to get rid of that three and a half trillion dollar package or whatever. But that's a but I mean just a the, the government basically is running out of money and basically the government's been doing the same thing. The United States government's been doing the same thing, and a lot of Western countries have been doing the same thing where they just take out all this debt and then they have the ability to pay the interest on that debt and so that we're just making interest payments uh and kicking the can down the road you know and that's also what corporations have been doing and i have a feeling like this so from the 1980s to 2016 you know went from two to 12 percent that's probably directly related to the 2008 crash and i think this by march 2020 one sixth of all public traded companies I have a feeling that has to do with coronavirus. I mean, I know yeah. that all started at that time, but I'm sure people canceled orders and stuff. So like people's books were very light at that time. In Brazil, one quarter of all corporate bonds at a higher at a higher risk of default are in the industrial sector. In December 2019, the majority of Chinese companies listed on A-share markets, namely the Shanghai Stock Exchange and the Shenzhen Stock Exchange, are unable to repay their debt with their operational cash flow and required refinancing. So like that's kind of just how our economy and how our corporations have been going uh, and, and why, you know, like every president is like, do not raise interest rates yelling at the fed to not raise interest rates um because remember like during the trump administration um i think the fed was going to raise interest rates or they raised didn't they raise them like 0.25 percent or something like that yeah and trump got fucking pissed and this is why because there's so many there are so many companies not only in the united states but around the world that if you raise their debt they're going to become a zombie corporation and they're going to have to lay people off they're going to have to shut their doors you know a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And so I guess the point I was trying to get across 
is just i don't know this is a big deal this is a global issue yeah i mean all our economies are intertwined and this is yeah it's all just a spider web <laughs> i mean spider network we, we can feel yeah we can feel what's going on over in china yeah it's it, so what i've always thought is that and like what what even because we talk about like marxism and and things like that in here is like i don't think anyone doubts that capitalism as a whole is, is a vehicle that moves growth faster at this point it's gotten us to this point does that make sense like yes we, we've seen all this like enormous growth and i think china once it moved away like more centralized capitalism like singapore is and not just straight commun or whatever that they were doing under mao once they moved away with it they did it as a chance to like try and catch up with the west and so they're, they're dabbling in like the same things we did in like 2008 that like even before that that caused like our housing crash and it's mm-hmm. like the same thing. And that's what you're getting with this like constant like need for growth, 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 growth is you're stretching yourself too thin. Yeah. And uh, in order to do that, you got to keep taking out all these loans. And like this is the thing that's scary about this is like we're we're at a point now <clears throat> where we're talking about the corporate debt bubble that's just been building and building and building for years is like even before the pandemic, you had all of these companies that were basically on life support. And then once once COVID hit and all the shutdowns happened, there was zero revenue coming in for a long time. And you see like what what we did, we scrambled mm-hmm. because you can't have the economy stop because if it stops, we're fucked. Yeah. And so the Fed started like buying all these corporate bonds and basically prop like adding more to the debt to these companies. So that exploded like these zombie firms even in the pandemic. So like we have this that's basically teetering on it, eventually this bubble is going to pop. This corporate debt bubble is going to pop and that's going to affect everybody. And not yeah. only do we have this corporate debt bubble, but we've also have a housing boom right now. The same thing like housing like that's going to cause, you know, how many people default on their mortgages. You're going to have, you have a student loan bubble right now that people aren't going to be able to pay back their student loans. In the stock market, you have speculative trading with tech companies that have unbelievable, like P&E ratios are unbelievably high. And that just means like investors are paying a higher price for what the company's actually worth. Layman's terms, I guess. So like these tech companies, take like Uber and Lyft. For a long time, investors have been, you know, buying more uh, the stock price was higher from what these companies were actually worth. Mm-hmm. So you have all this speculative trading on Wall Street that is just causing you know the market to just have this huge bull run even after the like the pandemic crash, like just keep going up and up and up. But with that speculative trading, you have now margin trading at four percent GDP, which that's borrowed money to buy stock. And you add that in with everything else that's going on, you're looking at an everything fucking collapsing bubble kind of thing. Like we're just propping everything up right now with all this debt. And like the Fed has basically used all the tools they have because interest rates are near zero. You can have negative interest rates like they do in Europe, I guess. (laughs) But at what point do we realize that this is insanity? It's almost like when you look at all this, and this is just like when you look at Evergrande, it's just part of the problem because this is everywhere. This this enormous house of cards that we have built for the sake of the next quarterly earnings, because I've said that before, like we don't look to the future in this country. You look at the next quarterly earnings report. Mm-hmm. Getting to that next quarterly earnings report, is this is what it's done. Like this is This is literally a house of cards that when it comes down now, it's going to take everything with it. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to say beyond that. Like, it just seems like we have just built whatever this is now. Yeah, I think I think the next step would be to talk about outcomes of what's going to happen. And I, I mean, I can see there being like realistically two outcomes and idealistically one. Um, idealistically, we, 
you know, prop up our our profitable industry and we get rid of things like private equity companies who just sit there and suck. Demons. Yeah. They just suck all the value out of a company and just leave it high and dry. I think Sears. Like look at like Sears. Sears would still be around today. They did not get killed by Amazon. That's like contrary to popular belief. Sears did not get killed by Amazon. What happened at Sears is they got a CEO who came in and he took all of their stores, which Sears actually owned, and he sold them to himself and rented them back out to Sears. So now there was, you know, rent costs associated with, uh, with running those stores. And, and that's why they couldn't keep the lights on in most of their locations. It's because their own CEO destroyed the company. My man. That's anyway, capitalism right there, baby. Yeah. Beyond that. Um, so I think idealistically, you know, we prop up our, our industry, you know, bring manufacturing back into the United States, um, you know, have things that are profitable, not just, you know, like big tech, which basically, like I've said before, the only thing profitable in the United States is advertising and marketing. That's it. So like all these big tech, Uber, Lyft, you know, all those people, they don't make any money, but like Facebook does. And how does Facebook make their money? How does Google make their money? Senator, we sell ads. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, like Amazon, you know, I think they make all their money off their cloud services and stuff, but that's about it for tech storage and ads. Um, you know, they, it's, I don't know. And anyway, so we got to bring back profitable industry in the United States. All of our, like the old guard, you know, the, the vehicle manufacturers, the steel mills, you know, all those guys, they're all over leveraged companies now. They're almost zombie corporations and they can't make any money, you know? Um, so basically government subsidies, more or less. And that'd be idealistic, I think. That would keep, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's <clears throat> incorrect thinking because maybe that just is going to keep kicking the can down the road. I don't know. What I think is more realistic, I should just say there's one realistic uh, outcome of this. And because we're already seeing it now. Corporations will come in and buy everything when it's really cheap, just like they did in 2008. They're going to take advantage of all of this happening. And that's what's happening in the housing market right now is companies like BlackRock are coming in and buying all these homes and they're going to turn them into rental properties. They're going to take all these single family homes which has long been touted as a investment vehicle for working class citizens, and they're going to rent them back out to them. All these people are going to default on their loans or, or their mortgages, and they're either going to get kicked out and be homeless, or they might be able, they might have a job and they might be able to skirt by on a rent payment. So basically, all that equity that they're building is going to get wiped out, and they're just going to be paying rent to a giant mega corporation who, at the same time, is trying to pass legislation that makes it illegal for renters to have guns in their homes. And so I can see that happening. I mean, I think that that's what equity companies are as well. I mean, BlackRock is an equity company and and that's what they did to a lot of the failing industry uh, in the United States. I mean, I used to work for a corporation that was owned by an equity company and I saw just the backwards business practices that would happen that were only for the benefit of either the shareholders or the equity company itself, because usually the equity company is either the main shareholder or the complete private owner of the company. Um, 
like they would just do shit like 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 the Sears thing I just spoke about renting back the stores. Um, they would charge fees on inventory that they owned. So they would charge fees on inventory that they ultimately owned because they were the owner of the company. But then the the business unit, the plant that the inventory was in, would have to pay fees to the company if they didn't sell it fast enough. You know, stuff like that. It's just stupid. Like that's it, such a dumb way to run a company. And 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 basically what they're why they're doing that is because either either way, either what no matter what business decision is made, the equity company makes money. So if that's a successfully run branch, they keep their inventory low, inventory costs are low, and they have high turnover of 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 inventory, they're making a lot of money and they're not holding on to a lot of stuff. If the branch f- fucks up and brings in too much material that sits around forever they don't take the loss the plant takes the loss and if the plant is not good and doesn't operate because they're over leveraged with material they can just sell the building and in some cases they've taken buildings that they own and sell them to competitors so like it, it like that's such a backwards way to run a company in my opinion and it's just so parasitic and i think that's what's going to happen i think i think we're going to have just these parasitic equity companies come in and buy everything up while it's super cheap and they're going to run the show and then and then they're going to take wages and they're going to suppress them and and we're just going to get shitty services um shitty industries and the wealth inequality is going to grow even more that's what i think is going to happen not to brighten your day but (laughs) i mean the second outcome i guess i should say and this i'm going to just say this probably won't happen but I could see it happening. We're trying to blame China for this right now so that we can go to war with them and we can keep people employed by making guns and bombs and tanks. Or the third option, we finally build a world co- cooperative. <laughs> and that's what we need to do. You know, We need to take this oligarchic system and just burn it down. Like It's, it's not good. It's not good. This isn't good for anybody except the people who ha- are in power right now. And our representatives aren't doing anything really to help us. They're just playing these performative games. It's like with the, this is why I always feel like everybody talks about the profit motive being like the biggest driver in industry. It's like, it, look at how, look at what it does. Like that's, that is so inefficient. It like, like you said, it becomes to the point where it eats its own company. Yeah. Like you try and find every way you can to make a little bit of money and you end up eating yourself. Why mm-hmm. are we do- I like that's why I just I don't think we need to do anything beyond what meets the needs of everybody. Yeah. We like it's just so unnecessary and it's exhausting and it drives this sweet economic growth I guess that usually only affects a small portion of the population anyways, but then we build it and it comes down and collapses mm-hmm. because that's just like physics. What goes up must comes down. Works in every kind, any kind of science you talk about. Up goes down. Like what goes up comes down. It all ties together. So it's just like we need to build a sustainable economy, mm-hmm. and we don't need it based on growth, just on people's needs. I know that sounds wild to people. But that doesn't mean progress goes away. It doesn't mean innovation goes away. It just means that we don't have fake dog shit that we're selling to each other. You know? Yeah. We don't have all these plastics in our fucking bodies and oceans and water. You know. We build an economy that, you know, based on need and, and and efficiency rather than just like, how can we do it cheap and keep growing? Yeah, I, I really think that we need to refocus and and do just that, you know, make an economy that 
isn't out for profit, isn't out for growth. It's out for human needs, necessities-based. I think that'd be much more efficient, and I think we'd all be way happier. I don't want to rent my way through life anymore. I know. It's so... It feels empty. Yeah, it's dumb. It's like my entire adult life, a portion of my income is just sucked away by some landlord or property management company. And then the same people who own those companies and own those big groups are now buying up the homes... So like my next step in my life to buy a home and just start paying a bank a shit ton of money is about to be just disappear f- from me and 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 everyone in my my age group. You know, it's it's going to be it's 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 harder to buy a home. And it's going to be even harder to buy a home and 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 we're just going to be renting the rest of our lives. Like at this point, I just feel like it's not even worth it. I feel like the only true like way to actually get ahead in the working class is to be extremely mobile like you have to be willing to basically whore yourself out to the next company who will give you a little bit extra money but then they move you across the country you know you have to be mobile to make money because you need to just basically submit to the wills of these corporations i guess you are exerting a little bit of power like i think right now you know we can all as the working class exert some power by finding a new job because you know, it's no lie that people are offering bonuses and actually raising wages right now. Whether those wages were are fair still, I I mean, I still think they're a little low. But regardless, it's, you know, if you switch jobs, you're more likely going to, I mean, you shouldn't really, sw- unless it's for like health or stress related reasons, you shouldn't switch a job unless you're making more money. So like, I don't know, you know, you go on to the next company, you make a little bit more money. But in reality, we're all still sitting here renting, you know, maybe I'll be able to buy, you know, a nice meal every every month now i'll be able to go out for sushi or some shit but it's just like we'll get a little treat yeah it's just really bleak right now and and i think it's going to get worse i i really do i think it's just going to continue to get worse um i don't think we have seen the economic fallout of covid yet and i think that's what they're preparing us for by blaming china they're preparing us for the inevitable, you know, the other foot to drop on us. And they're going to blame Chinese real estate, which is $300 billion in debt, which is an insane amount of money to ever loan a company in the first place. We're going to blame China. We're, you know, that's the thing about it. We're we're trying to blame China right now. We're trying to not, not just blame China, but blame a company in China for having $300 billion worth of debt. Who gave them that fucking money? You know, it's like it never, if you really, if you track it all down, it goes back to these fucking disgusting vampire companies and vampire industries and the Fed. It all goes back down to where the money originates. And that's where money originates is in the Fed. And so the Fed can't keep the printing presses going like they are without extreme inflation. So our economy has to blow up. And right now they're preparing for us to blame China. I guess my only hope out of this is that after the inevitable full-blown crash is that I can hold out long enough to sell my house to a private equity firm for triple <laughs> what I triple what I paid for it. Yeah. Hopefully that'll be the case, but I doubt it. They'll probably send by that point we'll probably have some weird uh corporate fascist state and they'll send some guy with guns to my house and force me to sign like sell my house for like 60 grand or some shit i don't know yeah well i I really think we just need to we need to fucking stop hating each other i think that's the big thing that's going on right now i i think what we can we we can gauge from like all the crazy trump anti-vax people that we're supposed to hate all the time is that a lot of it is just over dramatized in the media i mean like they like we're blaming these 
people who are victims of a vampire capitalistic society who are like not given any opportunity having big pharma companies who get off the hook get their children addicted to opiates and 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 accidentally kill themselves and you know we're, we're supposed to look at their anger as invalid and and they're just stupid people that don't know what they're doing. Like we honestly need to reach out to these people and come to some sort of understanding with each other so that we can work together for a better cause. I mean, I mean, that's what the media is doing because like, well, the the corporate media is doing that because like, if you look at the people who are unvaccinated right now, you'll see that they did like a poll and like half of the people unvaccinated are willing to get it. It's just the logistics are still a problem. Mm -hmm. But the media is saying it's all these dumb anti-vaxxer Trump people and says you need to hate, hate these people. Yeah, they want us to hate each other. And and we need to stop doing that because as stupid as you think they are, and I know I've clowned on them plenty of times, but as stupid as you think they are, they are mad at the same people you're mad at. We are mad at corporate greed and ineffective government and all these people in power handling that power irresponsibly. They are too. And honestly, I think they've been mad at those people longer than we have. Uh. They didn't fucking like we we saw Obama and and we're all just like oh finally oh this great administration's gonna come in and save us from George Bush. All he did was drone strike the shit out of a bunch of fucking people and let a ton of people default on their loans and get foreclosed on while giving banks money and just continuing this Bush administration bullshit. Yeah, it's just bullshit. And even now, like Joe Biden is sitting here, you know he you know kudos canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, but that was only because that's the only thing that that's the most popular one that people know about. He, he, his administration is telling OPEC to pump out more fucking oil. And so, yeah. And, and, and the Biden administration is sitting here pushing like energy plans that would destroy, you know, federal land that has been, it's just untouched nature, you know, to mine for oil and natural gas, you know? So it's like, well, it, what's it, the it, difference? But- yeah, there is no difference because I, I remember I, I talked about the Biden administration is looking for a contractor to hold Haitian migrants in Guantanamo Bay. Mm-hmm. If that sounds like a Trump administration thing, yeah. you know, they're the same. I don't. I guess they are fundamentally very, very similar. You know, mm-hmm. like even like foreign policy, like we're doing shit that the Trump administration—it's still very America first. Yeah, and everything that they're they're doing so. I the the Biden administration I, I guess ultimately isn't that different than the Trump administration and that kind of goes back to the point that we were making last week saying like the president doesn't really matter no it's a system that we've built that just kind of moves in the background and it's still doing the same shit yeah and kind of will just continue to do so mm-hmm. yeah and I guess the last thing I want to say is just like we are all part of the same communities we live in the same town we go to the same bars we drink the same beer we eat the same food i don't drink bush light <laughs> all right we don't drink the same beer but you know, <laughs> we drink the heavy ver- we drink the full flavored beers they drink the light beers you know right on i can respect but, that but we're all in the same place you know trying to just fucking get by and we need we have more in common with these people than differences and i'm not saying like let's condone like racist behavior or things like that those but i think those people are a very fringe part of your the the, of the you know normal american you know contrary to what like people will say 
I don't think Trump voters were racist. Right. I think there's a definitely a contingency uh, or contingent of the Trump f- base that is racist, but I don't think they're bad people. No. I think they're angry at the same people you're angry at. They just have a different solution than you do. They think the answer is different than your answer. So really what we need to do is come together and find a, a goal, have a goal in mind that works for the working class and mobilize to achieve that goal because we are all being taken advantage of right now. All of our wallets are being fucking rifed through by these disgusting, slimy, vampiric, evil, rich people. And we just, we need to come together, love each other and fight together and fight for one another. Make love, not war. I, I, uh, just to add on that, I, I will always, at the end of the day, we're all human beings, like you were mm-hmm. saying, and we all do want the same thing. And we want what's best for our families and friends and to have filling and successful lives, whatever that looks like. I don't think anybody really wants more than that. And when they do, they have a mental disorder called greed, mm-hmm. which I truly think is a mental disorder. I it's an it's addiction. Just, it's an addiction. <clears throat> but what I'll say is that I, I actually find myself, you know, because I, I clown on conservatives all the time. I dog them. I, I I mean, I joke on them. You know, I give them a hard time. But when I look at it, because I, I find myself actually very lucky that I work with a lot of people who are very conservative. But I also know a lot about their like their family life and 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 how much they love their families and just want what's best for them. And so, like, that's what it it's all about at the end of the day. It, yeah. And and you know. They, we might have differing crazy beliefs, but in the end of the day, the hatred is all bullshit. But I will say too, also like, you know, we should definitely not condone like racism and we need to snuff out, you know, these last remnants of like Nazism that's still around and that stuff needs to just be left in the past forever. But I will say is that you need to have a dialogue at some point because you don't get ex-Nazis without showing love and compassion to all human beings. Yeah. Even if they are a hateful person, there's a reason they're hateful. And it's probably because they grew up in an environment that was filled with hate. Yes. And they don't know what love and compassion is. Yes. And so and the main... That's why we should always offer love and compassion to all human beings. Because you don't get ex-Nazis with... I mean, I guess you can punch them. It's fine. But like, I think you, you get... what it, What is it saying? Like, you attract more, more uh, whatever with honey. More flies than, with honey, I think. More flies with honeys than... Yeah. So, yeah. Just show love and compassion to each other. I know it's hard. I know we don't do it. We don't do it on this podcast a lot. (laughs) But at the end of the day, that's what we need to do. We need to just be loving, show love and compassion to each other and ourselves. And that's hard Mm -hmm. to do too. You need to be Mm -hmm. be love and compassionate to yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's well said. And, you know, a lot of the reason why these people join these hateful communities and stuff is because, like you said, they're grown up in a hateful environment. They feel isolated. They feel like they don't belong. And then these people reach out to them and they they uh, take advantage of their insecurities. And that's why you have a lot of white men turning into these alt-right creep weirdos is because usually men in our society, men's, men's issues and men's mental health is an afterthought um and uh and like you saw a lot of you know refugees from muslim countries defecting and joining isis and the taliban and stuff and that's exactly what they did they came over and they were like 
hey, no one in this country likes you, no one wants you. And there's a lot of anti-Islamist rhetoric coming out of white people in Europe. And so it's easy to believe when they're looked at as the other, as the enemy, as in a convenience, they're going, like that is just a perfect candidate to join an extremist organization. I I listened to this Taoism podcast and uh, the doctor on there had like a very good uh, point. He says like, because when, ta- when mingling with people who think so differently than you do and you just kind of want to like scuff them off, it's just like he he always just like, well, if you want to be like a Taoist, a Taoist is always curious. So then you just ask them. So, oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that way? You know, and you keep asking like, well, why did you come to that conclusion? And like, you know, ask and like have an interest in listening to what they're saying. And eventually they kind of see like, I don't even know why I, I, uh, I think this way, you know, and. You have a different kind of dialogue, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And when when you practice listening instead of just turning it off, you have a different kind of dialogue between two people and it can enter into a, a relationship and people, you know, can start shedding a lot of that anger and hate when they feel like they have somebody who's actually willing to listen to them. Yeah. So I don't know. We need to you know, talk to your neighbors. Like we always say, like, I'm kind of introverted. I don't like to really talk to people, but like, say hi to your neighbors. You know, mm-hmm. what, what's when you, when you go, go to your coworkers at work, even the ones you don't really like that much, it's like, what's going on in your life lately? You know, just like, just interact with people. Just be friendly. Just be friendly. If they don't show it to you, I mean, some people are stubborn and angry and just mad at the world and will never change. And those people just can't be reached. Still, just be nice mm-hmm. yeah i think more often than not you can find good in people and you can get along with each other yes but, but yeah so you want to wrap it up yeah i'm depressed <laughs> well hey we try to end it on a positive note oh i'll edit that depression part out <laughs> i'm feeling better now you know i forgot to check the emails before we started let me see if we got any emails let's see if bruce sent an email <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, andrew Oh, I shouldn't say his whole name. <laughs> Andy, he said, I vote for the truckers union to be named Lot Lords United. <laughs> <laughs> Lot Lords. Dude, that'd be uh, sick. Like, you could totally, like, I can, I can imagine, like, the back of a trailer airbrushed, like, the gate airbrushed with a big parking lot just filled with these, like, these semi-trucks with, like, flames shooting out the exhaust and then, like, a big god figure above, like, with his hands up in the air, like, shooting lightning out of his fingers. That'd be sick. The Lot Lords. I just had, like, a, a thought of, like, each, each like, mega truck, truck stop has, like, a Lot Lord. So, like, when the Chuckerson's like, who's the Lot Lord of this this lot? And I was like, oh, that's Jim Bob. <laughs> and it, <laughs> each lot has a Lot Lord. <laughs> So he's like, yeah, I run things around here. Go see the lot lord if you need a refresher on your piss jug. (laughs) (laughs) So, everybody, this is what we're actually talking about. Reach out to your local lot lords. See see what they need to keep the truckers going. Yeah. Um, And then he said that the angry Greek Euro stand guy was his neighbor for a while um and he says he can confirm he was a slimy angry man but he did bring over free kebab sometimes that wraps into what we were just saying so well yeah he was angry and greasy but he still would you know be neighborly yeah he communicated his love language was acts of service because he doesn't know how to communicate so if you can identify people's love languages and what they're doing 
to be nice to you, I think you can get along with them. You just got to have a little bit more understanding. And you know that's I mean? a beautiful ending. Yeah. So uh, actually, Brew didn't email us. So thanks, Brew. <laughs> You're yeah. supposed to get our number one fan. Thanks. Thanks. Sarcastically. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Brew. Five minutes of our podcast uh, couldn't be had because you didn't send us something. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Brew. Um, all right. Well, that's all we got for today. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the episode and thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>